Stampede. Binary is at number 126, recorded at 213, back better or make America great again are political slogans that in effect concede that something has gone wrong in this country. I could list all the maladies that the American people know about or have been experiencing, but that might not be as meaningful as highlighting what took place 50 years ago and something which most Americans in this country don't understand. In 1971, Richard Nixon took America off a gold-holding policy that it had used since 1945, when America had supported the floating currencies of most of the world. In 1945, America had the largest holding of gold of any country in the world, and it, along with the International Monetary Fund, 
were used to control the fluctuations of currencies worldwide. That agreement was called the Britain Woods Agreement. And after World War II, it created financial stability. But by 1971, America no longer had enough gold to continue that policy. And Nixon made a switch in the requirement that America hold gold to support the Bretton Woods Agreement. He made oil the basis for the strength of the U.S. dollar by creating what was called the petrodollar. And how did that work? Well, if a country's economy was to grow, it needed energy by the use of oil. And so if you wanted to buy oil to fuel your economy, you had to use U.S. dollars to do that. And that's what we've been running for 50-odd years. And the facts are, from 1971 to today, this country has become a debtor country. Its government spends more money than it has, and our debt has increased to $30 trillion. We support a government debt. And I can't exactly say why that is, except to say, as a matter of fact, since 1971, this country has become a debtor country and will never be able to pay back its debt. But that wasn't all. We instituted consumerism, which told the American people to spend more and to get more. And it really didn't matter how you got it. You just had to get it. But something else happened, and it started in 1973.
things were working swimmingly until we began conducting financial warfare using the banking system by sanctioning individuals and countries. And you might ask yourself, how has that been done? Well, in 1973, two years after America instituted an economic condition worldwide for the purchasing of crude oil, it, along with European banks, began the SWIFT system of banking. It began with a transatlantic telecommunication cable being laid across the Atlantic Ocean linking America to Belgium for the communication of one bank to another verifying financial transactions. It's called SWIFT. The Society of World Interbank Financial Telecommunications. It doesn't facilitate the transfer of funds. It simply sends payment orders between banks before transactions can be placed. Without the messaging system, no bank can interact with another bank. In 1973, its system included 239 banks in 15 countries. Today, it links more than 11,000 financial institutions over 200 countries, with over 32 million messages per day. Up until 2006, the SWIFT banking system had remained a politically neutral association and was free from influence by any country using its services. But in 2006, major American newspapers leaked stories that a breach had occurred. In pursuit of terrorists, the U.S. government had gained access to the SWIFT transaction database. In response, a new architecture of privacy was derived, but the European Union demanded full disclosure of that new privacy agreement, which was eventually rejected by the European Union. But this didn't deter the U.S. government from using the SWIFT banking system to weaponize its privacy rights by sanctioning certain individuals or countries in 2012. And thus began a process of the United States preventing transmission of information from one bank to another in order to punish individuals or countries it found objectionable to its foreign policies. Only problem was individuals sanctioned from using the SWIFT banking system weren't going to lie down and play dead because they created their own banking system and it's threatening the United States.
We should stop deceiving ourselves. We don't have the strength to tell other countries what they should do. We hold neither moral superiority nor the military power to insist on what we want done. The whole world has been watching what has been happening in America and its lost respect for what we once were. Oh, we have weapons, all right but so do the countries we claim as our adversaries. But the world watches America as daily killings are happening, when our children kill other children, that we have homeless people living on the streets of nearly every major metropolitan city in this country, and who are clearly suffering from mental illness. America has allowed that to continue, that corruption is disclosed among the manipulators of Wall Street, the rank measures of inflating corporate profits by purchasing their own stock, that this country's debt is so malignant its leaders are incapable of stopping it that the education of our children is no longer based on merit, but rather equity, that consumerism has distorted the very meaning of what America once was. Getting more and greed have nothing to do with being free. All of that and much more has been playing out in the world and The insurrection isn't just domestic. No, an insurrection of American values is happening around the world. Other countries have begun using their own banking system to avoid American government's sanctions. China has a competing banking system like the SWIFT, and it's called SIPS or CIPS. So anytime the United States levels a sanction against China, it will be impotent. The same is true of Russia. The Federation of Russia has protected itself from sanctions on the SWIFT banking system. They've created SPFS, and this system like the Chinese, 
is growing. No, we shouldn't fool ourselves. We aren't winning. Sanctions by the United States often revolve around who controls the use of oil and gas. And that, of course, goes back to 1971, when Richard Nixon dropped the Britain Woods Agreement of 1945, requiring America hold a reserve of gold to stabilize the fluctuation of currencies around the world. Nixon adopted a new policy to keep America on top, and that was a worldwide control of oil tied to the U.S. dollar, the petrodollar. Now, I'm not an economist, but I can maybe give an explanation for why we became a debtor country in 1971 and continued to this day. And it's relatively simple. If you have possession of gold, it's a physical property that doesn't disappear. But if you have oil, once it's converted to energy and used, it's gone. In effect, when you use dollars to buy oil, its value as a substance eventually evaporates. Its importance is that it creates kinetic energy, but once used, disappears. In an open society where everyone is told to consume, the true value of what that commodity is 
becomes revealed. Both gold and oil are extracted from the earth, but one retains its composition, while the other is converted into energy. In effect, gold retains its physical condition and actually serves no purpose save as a symbol of value, while oil is used to generate kinetic potential and disappears once it's used. It doesn't necessarily have to be used for any constructive purpose. It can be spent without value, and it can create waste, dysfunction, and even war. And once you've used it, it must be replaced with more. I'm not advocating gold as a means of keeping our society productive, but there is a direct relationship for the use of petrodollars and our government's debt. We used oil to help us consume, but it didn't help us to preserve what was important. It helped to distort time and effort in ways we never imagined and made us a debtor country. If you think we'll get back to the way this country once was, 
you're probably never going to see that. Trouble is coming. And in the past, the good life that millions of Americans may have experienced is rapidly fading. We've allowed greed to blind us as to what is happening. You don't really think there isn't going to be a cost for the way we've been living, do you? The government may be on the verge of collapse from an insolvency of indebtedness. And when that occurs, a violent struggle of restructuring will begin. There'll be those who want to simply reset the system and continue with the way things were. And there'll be those prepared to make a completely new start with different values. And none of that will be resolved peacefully. This is a violent society, and I would even call it unhealthy. You don't really think if there's a collapse, people will be driving on expressways in major cities free from road rage? No. Before, during, and after the collapse, if you make an obscene gesture towards someone cutting you off in traffic, you're liable to being shot at or even just flat out killed. You'll know when the collapse has begun, when the electricity starts dropping, when brownouts become commonplace or whole parts of the system stop. But that's not the only thing you'll have to look forward to. Inflation and shortages will be what you'll find when you venture out of your home. Looking at a single apple will make you say, that can't be right. A dollar fifty for a single apple? That can't be right. Well, forget about going to the grocery store, because when the electricity stops, you won't be able to use your electric car. Or for that matter, you won't be able to pump gas either. You'll have to resort to using a bicycle. That is, if you can evade the roaming bands of gangs prepared to knock you off your bike and give you a beating, swearing you should have been wearing a mask to prevent you from spreading the plague. This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard Cliff Martinez's composition, Eddie's Dead, for the 1991 movie Kafka, then a piece by Alexander de Platt, winning an Oscar in 2017 for the best original score for the movie The Shape of Water, Elisa's theme followed by Marco Beltrani's composition for the movie Underworld. Previously, 
and then Henry Jackson's work, Consequences, for the movie Captain America Civil War. Then a cut from the movie The Minority Report. A John Williams score. And finally, again, from Kafka, A Cut of Eddie is Dead. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.